This is Andy Spiteri, host of the Champions Cast. I'm here to tell you about a charity fundraiser event that we are going to be live streaming over on Zelda Dungeon's Twitch channel on June the 20th at 8pm Mountain Time, 9pm Central Time. This will be a fundraiser focused on raising money and awareness for the Black Lives Matter cause, something that is very close to our hearts here at Zelda Dungeon and Champions Cast. We're inviting you to join myself, Allison Aletha, and Gooey Fame as we talk about uh, some of the issues that are going on in the world, but also as we talk about The Legend of Zelda. We are going to be doing a tier ranking uh, Zelda-based discussion where we are going to be ranking every single Zelda game in the entire franchise, remakes included, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some Zelda games hidden behind donation incentives, so the goal is to raise some money, raise awareness, and in doing so, we can talk a little bit more about Zelda as well. So we invite everybody to come on June the 20th, hang out, have fun, and uh, of course, be active. We are hoping that you donate to the Black Lives Matter cause, and it's going to be a fun night had by all. Again, June 20th, come hang out with us. That's over on Zelda Dungeon's Twitch channel. We'll see you then. Champions cast uh, from ZeldaDungeon.net. We are live from Linktober's Zelda Creator Con, and um, I just want to take a second here to congratulate the entire Linktober team, and Joel in particular, on a, an amazing event with a lot of just incredible, incredible artists and storytellers and podcasters and content creators. Uh, the, the amount of, of talent that has been showcased over this weekend is actually quite staggering uh, to, to me to see so many wicked wicked people doing so many wicked things in the Zelda community. So uh, a fantastic success, I think I want to go ahead and say. And uh, you know what, I, uh, I can't wait to do this again. Um, but that being said, I just wanted to give a shout out to, uh, to Joel. That being said, let's get into our episode of the Champions Cast for today. For anybody that doesn't know, um, the Champions Cast is our weekly podcast hosted over on ZeldaDungeon.net. My name is Andy Spiteri, and I am joined by Allison Aletha. Al, how are you? I'm fantastic. I got I got a kitten this weekend, and I've just been so busy and happy. He is super <laughs> adorable, too. And speaking of kittens, you can see on the... Uh, the Twitch channel there, we have our fearless leader, Mossies. Uh, how are you doing there, Moss? I am doing pretty good. My uh, my wallet took a beating from uh, CreatorCon's uh, vendors, but uh, recovering from that. Uh, it's, nice. it's all It's all worth it, I think, in the end. I saw some of those um, Divine Beasts, and man, did those ever just look so, so, so cool. So I, I actually like shredded my credit card the other day, and I'm kind of glad. Uh, I'm expecting a new one to come in the mail, so I'm credit cardless for a couple days. So I was like, "This is probably good." I I was I almost splurged for those, and I still might eventually at some point. They're like for the giant ones. There's like these giant like 3D printed 
statues of all the divine beasts and they're huge they're like 12 inches by 11 inches they're like pretty gigantic but and they're hand painted as well but they're like 150 bucks a piece worth uh you know those are gonna look mighty fine on your on your shelf though when it's all said and done heck yeah i think i might get the the varuta oh yeah Yeah, that would that would be your one if you could just get the one yeah i like the elephant Mm -hmm. i'm a fan The elephant does look cool. I agree with that. Uh, I I would get either Ruta or Naboris. I was going to say Naboris, I think, for me. But, I mean, let's be let's be frank. I would want them all. All right, let's, uh, let's move on from that, and let's get into today's show. And that is a very special retrospective of The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. And uh, this is going to be uh, kind of an exciting back and forth, I think, because... On one hand, you have uh, Allison and Moss, who I think this is in the upper echelon for both of you in terms of favorite Zelda games, right? It's up there. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't say it's quite close to favorite Zelda games, but it's definitely a Zelda game that I think I like more than most people. I'd say I like it more than most people is a good way to say it, but I would say it's probably closer to the middle of the pack, maybe the lower end of the middle of the pack, but... But I think I, I, I'm more of an, uh, a Phantom Hourglass apologist, I think. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> um, and on the other hand, you have myself. And uh, I recently replayed Phantom Hourglass for the first time in probably 10 years. Uh, which is actually like quite staggering for a guy like me. Because I play, I don't know. I, I mean, I play a lot of video games in general. But I play a lot of Zelda video games in general in particular. And so I, I probably go through maybe maybe like a Zelda game once every month or two, two, three months, something like that. I'll do, I'll I'll whip out Ocarina of Time or Minish Cap or something like that, and I'll, I'll just play it through. And um, I try and, and keep it so that I'm not like playing Ocarina of Time over and over and over again. I try and do some other games. So like for me to go 10 years without playing Phantom Hourglass is kind of an indictment on what I thought of it. So I was encouraged by Allison, I was encouraged by Mossies to replay Phantom Hourglass, and I did, and I made some notes, and uh, we're going to kind of go through a, uh, a an almost like a checklist in a way of like some different points that I had from the game, and I want to I wanna get your guys' takes on this. But uh, I, I do think that I want to address that, um, you know, the, the elephant in the room, and it's not even an elephant, it's like a giant neon sign is the controls, right? And I am awesome. You and I were talking and it's like, if you don't like the controls, I think that this game doesn't really stand a chance. And I'm, I think I'm still on that side where I'm just like, I just don't like the controls at all. But trying to put that aside, I was, um, I was, I was really just trying to, I don't know, not factor that into my analysis of the rest of the game. But I mean, it it really truly is a case of like if these controls aren't for you, then you're gonna have a tough time. Yeah, I, and I make the I make the comparison to Skyward Sword a lot, where it could have the best dungeons, the best world, the best everything, but it's like you can't get over the controls. You're just not gonna like it, and you know that's acceptable. I I, I can understand that. Um, I find so, that fair. Yeah. That that's like the 
the one I actually I want to get your guys' opinion on on something because when I started Phantom Hourglass, I I noticed two critical problems that persisted for the entirety of the game for me and it, and it really undercut um Phantom Hourglass. So the the first is the controls obviously. I I just I don't I'm not a fan of the controls at all like the stylus controls like and whenever I want to roll I feel like half the time I'm spinning my stylus like Link does it but then the other half he he doesn't like my hand was tired from holding my DS and having my stylus and like I kind of had to hold it at an angle so that like the weight was a little bit more distributed and like I know that you guys play putting the 3DS down and then um like controlling it just on a, on a desk or something like that but uh, that didn't really work for me so the controls really really stuck out to me um and there's some other gimmicks and stuff that that I wasn't in love with but we'll get to that later but the controls is something that never go away but I think that something that doesn't get talked about nearly as much uh, which is a problem is the setting of Phantom Hourglass because to me Phantom Hour like Phantom Hourglass basically recreates the Wind Waker. And I would even say, arguably, it does some things a little bit better than the Wind Waker. But at the end of the day, you have the same setting, but smaller and more compact. And, uh, you know, there's an old adage that you can either be better than, lesser than, or different than. And Phantom Hourglass, like, the its presentation and setting, it was never going to be better than the Wind Waker. So it its only other option was to be different then, which is something that Spirit Tracks went and did. But I feel like Phantom Hourglass just kind of settled on lesser than. And to me, it feels lesser than from start to finish. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Is that a fair criticism, do you think? I mean, it, you have to consider that it's, it's a DS game. It's not like a console game like Wind Waker, where Wind Waker got more attention, more detail. I feel like if you're going to buy a DS game, you got to know that it's going to be lesser than than your their console, you know, counterparts. In my opinion, I'm sure that there are some DS games that are fantastic for whatever series, whatever game, but I always felt like they were going to be lesser than. In in that case, like I get it. I get where you're going to play Wind Waker and then come in and play Phantom Hourglass and kind of feel like it was lackluster and kind of be let down but then like again I feel like you have to consider that you're going from like it's like reading a book series you read the main novel Wind Waker and then you get the novella which is Phantom Hourglass it's a side story in my opinion so that's how I see it in my brain at least I I, I mean it completely is a it's like a sequel and it's yeah sort of like a spin-off of the Wind Waker story but uh, I actually don't think of it as like Wind Waker light so to speak, in the sense that, like, you talk about the world, like, I think there are glaring problems with the world of Wind Waker and the fact that it's so large and so empty and there's nothing to do in the the overwhelming majority of the areas where I think Phantom Mar there's a lot more to do in Phantom Hourglass and Wind Waker in terms of how, like, dense the small pockets of land there are where, you know, on Wind Waker, there's literally four islands that are of any relevance whatsoever, and then the other 45 are empty, more or less. Whereas I think Phantom Hourglass has, there's a lot more characters, a lot more people to interact with, a lot more places to go. And uh, 
Like, I think it, t- it took some of the problems of Wind Waker and fixed it in that sense. You know, I actually, I don't disagree with that, um, especially with the, I, I think that the smaller world was better, and I think that the the islands were more evenly distributed, but I, like, Allison, kind of going back to what you're saying, where, like, of course it's a DS game and it's going to be lesser than, I, I actually feel like that's not, like, a good, I don't know, reason, maybe, because, like, you have, you have a Zelda game, and Zelda games are always known for kind of bringing out the best in whatever platform that they're on. And and to me, it was just so odd that, you know, by the platform alone, like you have it on the DS, like by that fact alone, this game couldn't look and couldn't run and couldn't be as good as Wind Waker was. And it's, it's just strange to me that they decided to go this direction and make like a direct sequel, which invites you to make direct comparisons between the two. Um, instead of trying something different like what they did with spirit tracks where it's like you know this there's still a lot of problems in spirit tracks and it still doesn't look very good but at least it's not like man the the great sea looks so incredibly much better in wind waker than it does in phantom hourglass you like you don't have that direct comparison i'm wondering if maybe the the standard has been raised by uh, you know, the direct sequel that is Majora's Mask, it's, like, such a fantastic thing compared to Ocarina of Time that you can, maybe players were kind of hoping that Phantom Hourglass would be similar to Wind Waker in a way. But if that's the case, then it didn't have a chance. I, for me, it's it's just, like, a, it doesn't even feel like a direct sequel because, you, like, you barely take off from Wind Waker before you get stuck in like an alternate universe and you do something for four hours and then you come back. It doesn't even feel like you're continuing the story at all. And, and you know, I know it takes place on like, it's like a, a it's a bunch of islands all over the place, but I don't feel mm-hmm. like I'm contained to the water in Phantom Hourglass. I don't really think about Phantom Hourglass as being on the water. I know the overworld is, but it's not a major factor of the game. Uh, like comparative, like Wind Waker is, is like that's Wind all Waker. I can think of. That's all I can see, and uh, like I feel Phantom Hourglass because you're really not on the water for that long. It's it's it serves no. as like a overworld hub just to get from place to place, but it it's you're it's quick. You're never there for more than a minute or two, and uh, it's not really annoying. It's pretty quick to get around, so it's like I I yeah I don't I don't think of it as like a big like like the overworld like that where you mentioned spirit tracks whereas that's totally the opposite where you're in the overworld forever just moving around and and it takes forever to get from place to place and that's more akin to wind waker i would say hmm. yeah i could agree with that and, and you know I'm, i'll give it uh i'll give phantom hourglass a little bit of credit too i actually um i i like that you can that you can doodle your your course like where you want to go um, I, I do like that actually more than sailing in the Wind Waker, but uh, it, it's just like, it's one of those things that to my brain, I just like, even subconsciously, I just, I can't stop comparing it to the Wind Waker. You know what I mean? And it's like, it, it probably doesn't hurt because I just finished playing the Wind Waker, or it probably hurts it rather, because I just finished playing the Wind Waker. But I, yeah, I was, I was just like, it, I was just surprised that they went for something that I, I feel like they couldn't do a good job with given the technology that they had. So that that stuck out to me for the entirety of my playthrough, actually, uh, along with the controls. And it was just, 
it was like it was a misfire for me and and but i feel like it was such a like such a a tag team of like critical misfires that it's like it was continually distracting to me my entire playthrough so that was like the my main takeaway from the first five minutes from the first five hours and then when i finished the game and i i still was just like the controls and the setting are just they're they're holding this game back because i i actually do think that there is a good zelda game in here but it's you know it's just hidden behind the controls and the setting um and you know and another thing too while we're talking about the the wind waker and the comparisons and i and i apologize because i'll probably be making wind waker comparisons a lot here but it, it is also tough to look at this game graphically like most most zelda games have kind of a kind of a, their own unique beauty to it twilight princess aside which as we all know is <laughs> super ugly but i would argue that phantom hourglass is almost as ugly as twilight princess twilight princess actually like that's an ugly game by by design this is just ugly because they didn't have the technology not to make it ugly and that's another thing that like when you're playing the game it's like god this looks terrible like link i feel like looks terrible yeah Wait, so let me get this drink. You still think that Twilight Princess is uglier than Phantom Hourglass? Well, all right. So, Allison, there, there's there's <laughs> two different types of ugly in this Zelda world oh, here. Oh, man. There is, um, there is ugly technologically, and then there is ugly aesthetically. Now, they're probably about as ugly as each other, but you see, Twilight Princess is ugly aesthetically it made the choice to be ugly which is even worse than what phantom hourglass did because we know that you know, the, the wind waker is a gorgeous game and uh if phantom hourglass is at least trying to replicate that gorgeousness it's just that it can't do it and it looks terrible for it but twilight princess made the decision allison to be ugly so okay you know what that's fair i also don't like how phantom hourglass looks i mean some of it is really kind of charming like in a in a distorted, um, not very uh, proportionate way. So, but like at the same time, you're right. Like it, it doesn't hold a candle to Wind Waker, which it's like you guys said, it's a direct sequel of. Um, I, I don't find it hard to look at. Like, like I said, it's kind of charming, but I would still think that Twilight Princess is not is is better than. It's not uglier, in my opinion. I think Phantom Hourglass is uglier. <laughs> Phantom Hourglass is the ugliest looking Zelda game at this point. It, it, it's, it's. I mean, it reminds me a lot of those like, those like mid to late '90s PS1 and N64 games that just they don't look good anymore. Yeah. You just can't play them. Like, fortunately, almost every game of any decent quality from that era has been remade nowadays. Uh, but I mean, if you know, someday, some world, eventually in the future, Phantom Hourglass gets a visual upgrade, and it had more of a. If it looked more like Wind Waker, like if it, it's it's purely the technology that is uh, holding yes. it back. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that too, actually, because I uh, I made that little note when I was playing this game, and um, I you know I I don't like the stylus controls, but another reason that I feel like they were a poor choice is like you you really have um put this game on an island pun intended uh because like unless unless you're porting it to a system that has like touchscreen controls like 
what do you do? Like you, you can't, you basically have to remake the entire game. So like, um, like, I don't, I don't know if we could ever see this on switch. Like I know that the switch has a little bit of touch, but I, I don't know if it has like enough touchscreen controls to run phantom hourglass. I, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about this too. And I was like, okay, well you can play it on your three DS and that's fine. But like, I mean, that's, that's gone now. That's, that's lifespan is over. Um, ditto for the Wii U. So like, the controls really have kind of, you know, unfortunately cemented it as like a relic of its system. Yeah. Yeah. I can agree with that. I don't see it being remade. Like, you know how you can, you can see Skyward Sword being remade because of the controls on the switch. So it makes sense, especially when, you know, the creators are so behind the, the controls, you would imagine they would be so behind the controls of the DS games too. I can't see them at, like with the technology that they have now being able to remake these games so you're right they are kind of like relics of of their you know their their era that is gone <laughs> I, I could actually kind of see this being ported and hopefully remade i don't know if they'd ever do this you know they started doing stuff with like super mario run and pokemon go with stuff like that but i can see this being remade like on a tablet i think that could be fun okay. to play but uh, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine it ever being on. It's not meant to be played on your TV at like home. A smartphone game or something. I I could see tablet. I think in the future actually. Um, but I, but it's just a shame because like, you know, I I've always said like this is a, a much better game if it just had like conventional controls and this game doesn't and I you know I just think that it would be. Uh, here's here's kind of an odd example actually. Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land is on the Nintendo DS as well, but that game controls like mostly mostly fairly normal. Like you you have to tap in order to um, fight enemies, but like I I feel like that's something that you could fairly easily work around if you ever wanted to port that to a different system. Where I yeah I just couldn't see how they could do Phantom Hourglass or Spirit Tracks for that matter, which is too bad because I feel. I feel like again, like there is a good game in there, but um, I I wouldn't I don't see Nintendo going through the the entire process of like remaking them from the ground up just to just to have a, a new version of an old game if that makes sense. So that was another thing that just kind of stuck out to me. Um, one more thing before we move on from the controls here is uh, I want to complain about something else. I know that it's not <laughs> as uh, prevalent and Phantom Hourglass as it is in uh, the sequel. But, man, those those mic gimmick things, just awful, where you have to shout and you have to use... I, I just, like, hate using your microphone on the DS. I think that it's, like, it's campy, it's cheesy. It's not as bad as using the spirit flute, but it's bad. And it's in Phantom Hourglass more than I remembered. I want to say there are three instances where you have to use it. When you have to ye- yeah, I'm trying to think of all the times. You have to yell at Astrid. You have to yell mm-hmm. for the cannon twice. Is there a fourth use? I th- Do you have to yell for the cannon twice? I thought it was just once. Just, it might be just once. Maybe it's only two times. But you have to blow out candles. Yeah. Yes, that's what it was. Like in the dungeon. Yeah, that's what it was. I think this would be like uh, <laughs> complaining about Breath of the Wild for using motion controls. 
Actually, I take <laughs> you know, I take that back because I think Breath of the Wild uses motion controls way way more than Phantom Hourglass uses microphone controls. It's it's not egregious by any means. And uh, when we do our Spirit Tracks retrospective, then we'll really get into it. But I I couldn't just let that that slip by. I had to complain about it because I I don't like it. I don't like blowing out candles. I don't want to like tap or or like blow into my 3ds to make it work i just you know yeah too many gimmicks but um let's let's kind of move on here and talk about uh one thing that beside the motion controls i think that phantom hourglass is most known for and uh that is the temple of the ocean king um moss i know that Woo! you are a big fan of the temple of the ocean king what is it about that temple that in particular just draws you in so I liked that in the early floors, you can see hints of other stuff around, but it's like, ah, I'm not powerful enough. I can't, I can't do that yet. But every time you go through the, the temple and you get, like when you get bombs for the first time, you can create little shortcuts here and there. When you get the bow and arrow, there's like new objectives that open up. And like even much later in the game, when you get like, I know after... I think you go through it the first three times. You get the like the, the midway checkpoint, but you can go back there even later. You can do the early floors again if you want to with the grappling hook and the bomb chews. And there's even more little like cool little puzzles where there's extra treasure chests. And uh, I always found those to be, I like those little things in there. And in addition to that, uh, I remember when I first got the game, uh, this back in. 2007 uh i had i had made like a custom quest for myself where i was going to see if it was possible if i can beat the temple of the ocean king finishing the temple with a full 25 minutes in my hourglass uh which i found out that actually you could do that and uh because it like when you beat it it tells you how many like minutes were left in your hourglass when you when you completed it that's Mm -hmm. permanently in your inventory uh, I don't even know if that's part of like the hundred percent category or not, but like, if but uh, I enjoyed it. I I like it, and I, I I like that your character gets stronger each time you go through. I did think it is tedious though. See, like the first time I played, time was a problem. I would run out of time. I I you know because you're you're solving some of these puzzles on the fly. You don't know what to do the first time you go through the game. Uh, but that is almost a non-factor in the in repeat playthroughs though. Hmm. And Allison, you're a you're a fan of this dungeon, but mostly from the context of you kind of know how to cheat the system a little bit when you're speedrunning it, right? Yeah, so once again I'm coming from a speedrunning perspective and I feel like this dungeon, I remember playing this dungeon for the first time with my brother um, you know, back when the game came out. And we were really frustrated with it, you know, for the same reasons that everybody was. But I like it now because I know how to go through it efficiently and, you know, to keep my time and to not have to worry about all this, like, all the nuances of it, I guess. And so, I I don't know, I really appreciate knowing, like, the tricks and knowing how to do it quickly and not having to spend too much time there. And I like the puzzle-solving aspect to it. And, you, you know, you talked about the controls earlier one of the i think benefits of the control system is the fact that you can like on the fly make notes on your ds i don't know if you did that this time around or whatever but 
so a lot of times there's little puzzles like uh, when you have to draw symbols, like the order you have to do things or the order you have to pull levers and there's like little clues all over the like room or whatever. So it's almost like you're you're like you're like it's like an investigation of what you have to do. But I do like the puzzles, although I will comment that this has what I think is a miserable puzzle midway through the temple. I think everybody knows which puzzle I'm talking about. When you have to close the clamshell of the DS to get the, oh, the, the yeah to stamp oh. that on yeah. yeah I was stuck forever on that <laughs> when the game first came out. I I think I just I remember I must have remembered doing it in the past because I actually wasn't stuck and I was like, what's the most annoying gimmicky thing that I could possibly have to do right now? And that's probably what I need to do. So I just clammed my, my DS shut and lo and behold, <laughs> there was the Island of Courage. I was like, okay. Um, you know, I talking about the Temple of the Ocean King for a second, I actually don't mind the concept of the Temple of the Ocean King. I just don't know for me if it was executed as well as it could have been. Um, and because like, I, I'm a Metroid fan, right? So, like, I kind of like the idea of, like, acquiring more items and coming back and getting to progress further and further into the temple. And I like I also like stealth gameplay in Zelda, so I don't mind kind of trying to sneak around the phantoms. I, I think the big thing for me is that even though you get items which let you kind of um, progress through the rooms a little bit quicker than you have before, like, you still have to do the same rooms, like, over and over and over again. Like, the the room that you have to get the the triforce pieces um you have to get those triforce triforce pieces a couple times until you get i want to say it's the it's the grappling rope or something like that which lets you just bypass that entirely but like I, you must i must have had to do that like three separate times and by the third time i was like okay this is not fun i just want to skip ahead i i don't love that it's timed um to me i uh one of the big draws about the Zelda series is just like you know, being able to go and, and freeform explore places. And Majora's Mask is kind of the exception to that because I, I like how that works in that game. But I, I didn't love how that worked um, in the Temple of the Ocean King. It wasn't like a make or break thing, and it kind of is nice if you, if you, you know, have all these items and you're like, I can get a really good time here. But I, I, I did notice that a little bit. I think that it... I think it hurts that there aren't more ways to take out phantoms until like very, very basically the end of the game is when you can uh, take out the phantoms. It would be nice if there were more like trap doors or something like that, where you could just eliminate them and maybe progress a little bit faster past them. Um, and then, you know, the last thing that I, uh, that I noticed about the temple of the ocean King is to me, it just, it seems like kind of bland and just uh, like aesthetically, um, and actually, that's a criticism, I think, for a lot of the dungeons in here. But, like, it just, it seems, I, I don't know, kind of bland. It's, like, the same shade of, like, purpley-blue throughout the entire thing. And maybe this is a weird complaint or whatever, but it's just, like, every room looks exactly the same to me in that temple. And after a while, especially because you go back to it so often, it's, like, I think that just exasperates the fact of, like, okay, I'm back here again. I have to do this again and stare at the same colors and walls again like did you guys kind of get that vibe at all yeah i did and i i I felt in particular the music too gets it's kind of like it's just a small little tune that's on repeat over and over and there's no 
uh like it would have been nice if like the deeper you got into the temple if it got like i don't know darker or scarier or something or you know maybe each section had its own theme uh this is a complaint about the dungeons as a whole because the dungeons didn't have their own custom themes in this game so it was, the music was a little repetitive and uh yeah it's got that weird like fog kind of feel to it too that I don't know. Yeah, I don't think this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning where it's not very, you know, aesthetically pleasing to look at some of the dungeons and the, some of the game in general. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I kind of like I kind of get it. Um just like it fits Phantom Hourglass as a whole. I I have a more my issue with the graphics of the game is just how unproportioned everything is. I don't know why I have a, like a, such a thing against that <laughs> cuz I bring it up every time we're talking about Phantom Hourglass. But like Link is almost as tall as these walls in this temple and it doesn't make any sense to me. So I always have an issue with that more than like the visual of the temple itself or the dungeons themselves. So, but I get what you're saying. They they do kind of just like sound and look the same and it's kind of blah i i actually think that you could basically make that statement for every dungeon in the game because like you you go in and they all like every room kind of looks exactly the same and the music like you said is is exactly the same and so it's just like let me just do this again um and, and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bring something else up here and i wasn't sure where to bring it up but i'm just gonna bring it up here and i think that you're gonna disagree with this most but you know, I, I do hear people say that uh, Phantom Hourglass has really great puzzles. And I, I kind of agree, but I kind of disagree as well. Because I feel like, and uh, maybe this isn't the best way to articulate this, but here, here I go. I feel like the puzzles are, like, contained to one room. So, like, you have, you have a puzzle, and, like, you're in that one room. You finish the puzzle, you move on to the next room. You have your puzzle in that room, you finish it, you you throw your boomerang and you hit whatever switches, and then you go on to the next room. And, and for me, what it's missing is like that overarching like puzzle structure, like the the water temple, for for example, and an ocarina of time, where like that is the mechanic that you use in the dungeon, and like everything is everything is defined by that mechanic. Where like for the most part, I feel like in Phantom Hourglass you you basically have your one you you're you're in a room you do the puzzle you move on to the next room you're in that room you do that puzzle and then you move on i think the only exception that i can think of to this is when you're in um the goron cave and you switch back and forth but other than that i i just feel like there's no like central mechanic to me and so it did have like some clever puzzles but at the like at the end of the day too i was just like okay well like i'm i feel like i'm doing this kind of over and over and over again and you know these puzzles are nice but i just wish that it was i don't know maybe a little bit more grand in scope i do think though i mean the temple of the ocean king has some like some of the later it's like problem solving almost the game is not really a combat oriented game there's very there's not really not that much combat in this game i think compared to most zelda games that's for sure i think most people would agree like the whole game is a like every single room is a puzzle. There's like, and you're right. Sometimes they're a little, you know, isolated. Sometimes I think they build on top of each other. Like even like in the first dungeon, the you know the Temple of Fire, it's like there's like a little basic boomerang puzzle, and then oh, 
they add like another obstacle to it and then another obstacle to, like it's just like it guides you along to like improve the gamer's skill a little bit but i do think some of them later on they get a little bit more complex like sometimes where you have to like you create like a grappling a grappling rope and then you have to stand on top of it and then use your arrow or boomerang it's like they use some of the items in tandem with one another or i remember that one puzzle where you have to create a grappling rope and then you like shoot your boomerang that ricochets off the rope to hit the eye switch like some of them are a little i think clever and good uses of the items but uh, and then some of them are just they have a there's a lot of puzzles that are hit this switch then this switch then this switch kind of puzzle or or draw and this and, and like there's a lot of this in the temple of the ocean king where it's there's like tablets like the first switch to the left is the second you know whatever like these like little cryptic messages uh and it's yeah it feels sometimes like you're playing a professor layton kind of game it's like we're you're good good analogy and, and yeah and that's that's i think kind of unique to this game maybe not like exclusive but like there's just a lot more of it in this game and it's a it's a very puzzle oriented game and i like it i enjoy it now like they're all you know it's all common sense to me now and like it's not a challenge but i remember the first time through i did enjoy some of these i can see um like the beginning dungeons are kind of like that where the puzzles are just like you do this one thing you hit the switch you use your boomerang with the fire on the the torches whatever but I feel like the end, the more, the like, at least the last three, if not Temple of Courage as well, have more puzzles in them where they're like, they're like, uh, spread out a little bit. Like what you said, Andy, with the Goron, um, with the Goron, switching back and forth between the Gorons. But I feel like the Ice Temple or Temple of Ice is probably the most puzzle heavy of all the dungeons in that game. Because, um, while they might be in a room, it's more like a floor. Like, the entire floor is a giant puzzle, and sometimes I have a really hard time with that one because I can't remember everything that I'm supposed to do in order to solve that puzzle and move on to the next room. So, I think it's more like a gradual increase of, the like, the puzzles getting harder or more interesting, um, more thought-provoking. But, yeah, I can definitely see where, like, at least with Temple of the Ocean King and the, maybe the first two dungeons where... I don't really remember any of the puzzles being well, that hard. You know, and also, like, the Temple of Courage has, I think, it's like there's a central theme to the dungeon of, like, it tells you there's a puzzle early on where it's like, was it like top, down, right, left, or something is the theme. And there's, like, mm -hmm. there's yeah. several puzzles that, like, that's the only hint to what you have to do. And uh, so, the, I mean, now that's, like, maybe I'm, I'm, like, digging for something here. But, uh... But I like I think a lot of the puzzles in Phantom like I think of I think it's through the fourth trek through the Temple of the Ocean King where you get the gems. There's the square gem, the triangle gem, and the what oh, the yeah, hexagon yeah, yeah. or an octagon gem, whatever it is. Where you got it's a you gotta get them all to the one floor, but it's not as simple as just carrying them up to the next like because you gotta put them in the particular pedestals to create and it's like you're problem solving a little bit of all right if i put this here how do i come back and get it later and i i like that kind of problem solving and, and puzzles that's like i said i think kind of unique to phantom hourglass in compared to most games in the series 
maybe that's kind of like the same where as the overworld temple the ocean king also kind of increases its puzzles as you get deeper and deeper into it deeper and deeper into the game the dungeons have more puzzles makes you think a little bit more as the game continues i think yeah um and, and i i'm not i'm still not sure actually if if my comment was like a criticism of the puzzles of phantom hourglass i, I think like i'm just the type that i like the the main like kind of structure of a, of a puzzle like that um like you the what you mentioned was a good example with the i can't remember what temple it was uh, that we just said but like you have to go up down left right or whatever like, temple like that, that's kind of a cool mechanic that i that i like but um you know i want to i want to keep it going here so let's let's move on um i i feel like i've been beating up a little bit on uh phantom hourglass so i i do want to talk about um something that i think that this game does actually exceptionally well and i was surprised by it because i don't remember it having such uh such great boss fights um i i think that almost every single boss fight is like really really strong in this game um i with with actually the exception of the very last one are you referring to Bellum Beck, like yeah. the Bellum Lineback battle, or I am referring to Bellum Lineback. Yes, okay. Bellum Beck. Yeah, <laughs> I love that fight. <laughs> I yeah, I was I was complaining to Allison when I was fighting him. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Um, but but I mean, like, uh, I'm I'm gonna butcher some names here, so whatever. Um, Eox, I I feel like from Mudo's Temple was really really fun. Uh, using the hammer mm-hmm. to just like propel yourself. I I thought that that was like a really fun boss battle uh gleok uh i don't know i i kind of popped for gleok coming back just because i've been watching the zelda cartoon and gleok's in there but uh i i had a really fun time with that battle like using the uh the grappling rope to kind of divert the his fireballs and stuff like that um the the sisters from the ghost ship um like even even um blaze from uh from the temple of fire i think is clever because like you have the three on screen but like you have to look at uh at the top screen to see like which one you actually need to attack so i i i thought that was really clever and i didn't remember liking the boss battles as much as i did when i first played this game so there there you go just so nobody can say that uh that i didn't say anything nice about this game Woo! i like <laughs> yeah i like the boss battles too <laughs> i think dongarongo is really fun Especially because it's got, like, two phases where you can kind of, you, like, you know, switch back and forth between the Goron. And then the Goron leaves, and then you're fighting him by yourself. Yep. Um, another another point from a speedrunner's perspective is I like these boss battles because I know how to do them quickly. <laughs> and they're kind of, like, they're kind of fun to do fast if you can get if you can get it right. So, um, Cycloc is probably one of my favorites to fight quickly. You just have to spam him with bombs. It's great. But I also really like the boss fights in this game. And I like Bellumbeck. I know people like have a hard time with him, but I really like I, I think that one's fun. I, that that's such a phantom hourglass thing is like you have you have all these great boss fights and then in the last biggest boss fight of the game, you <laughs> schmuck it up. That's so phantom hourglass. It, it has such an emotional value to it though, because it's like it's 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 Limebeck. It's your guy that you've been traveling with this whole time, and he's like slowly been redeeming himself in a way, and and then he sacrificed himself to save you, and now he's possessed by Bellum. What the heck are you supposed to do? I think it's more about like the emotion than the actual 
technicality of fighting him. I, I, I like the uniqueness of them, too. I feel like there's no bosses that are, like, like the previous boss as well. There's also that the boss of the Temple of Courage, Crake, who it's kind of gimmicky, I think, but I think it worked where you have the first person perspective on one screen. So you, because he's invisible, you don't know where he is, but like, so you see him chasing after Link in the top screen, but then you're controlling Link on the bottom screen and you got to shoot an arrow like at the screen. I thought that was a, a unique boss battle. And uh, that, that was a gimmick done right, I feel. Yeah. Um, and like each of these kind of has its own gimmick to them, but um, I I I was really impressed. Bell and back though, you had to do uh, the figure eights. That that I was not impressed with. I will say that. <laughs> I actually I I specifically remember uh, texting Allison, and I was like, "What is going on with this last boss battle? I'm doing these crazy figure eights, and nothing is happening." So yeah, I don't know. Very. Very Phantom Hourglass thing to do. Um, all right, so you mentioned Linebeck, and I want to talk about the game's story here for a quick second. Um, I actually, I, I don't think that Phantom Hourglass has a very good story at all. Um, and that kind of, that goes back to the setting a little bit, where, like, you know, you have, you have the same world as the Wind Waker. You have mostly the same characters, except for Ciela and for Linebeck. Um I wasn't a fan of just kind of like, oh, we've got a damsel in distress and Tetra is captured and needs to be saved. I, I thought that that was like, I thought that that was a little bit weak. But while I was playing this game, I um I actually was kind of surprised at like, kind of how little Linebeck contributes to the to the story because he doesn't. In and maybe I was just ex- like remembering that his role was was so much greater, but. In my mind, he like he doesn't really do a whole lot. He just kind of he he's kind of the same throughout the course of the game until you get to the very end, and he sends Link a letter, a letter, and says like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm proud of you or whatever it is that he says. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I was kind of almost comparing it to Groose from Skyward Sword, and that was a that was a character change. I feel like was gradual, impactful. It helped you story wise, and I, I don't know. To me, um. Linebeck didn't have that same kind of an arc that that Groose did, and uh, it didn't. Maybe I was just remembering it where he was a little bit more involved, but I was a little bit not disappointed, just surprised that he wasn't so involved in the game. And I was surprised at how much Ciela was involved in the game because I, you know, and maybe it's just because of the Zelda community that we're in. But you hear a lot about Linebeck and not a lot about Ciela. So um, her her story was kind of she was a far more important character in the story, I think. So. It was uh, it threw me for a loop a little bit when I was playing. I like all the interactions with Lime, like the little interactions with him, like the little like where he, he hates Ciela the whole time. <laughs> like he's always like, yeah, like, he's, <laughs> like, and the banter they have going back and forth is fantastic, and just like yeah, I, I actually let me let me clarify. I actually I like Lineback. I still do. I just I I just remember him being a little bit more involved in the story. But yeah, he's he's fantastic, especially when he's dogging on Ciela. Well, like, his character is, like, he's such a coward at the beginning. Like, oh, Link, you go get the, the map, because, you know, I sprained my ankle. <laughs> and just shows him, like, <laughs> dangling his leg around her a little bit. Like, and then, like, I love the scene where, uh, after the ghost ship, where Oshis just <laughs> magically shows up on the ghost ship, and you see Lineback, like, leaning up on the, the statue of Zelda. 
or of Tetra. And then, like, in the middle of the cutscene, he, like, leans too much, and the statue falls to the ground. <laughs> and, then, and then he picks it up and, like, tries to make sure it didn't break or something. And then, and then the scene just keep, keep continues. Like, so, like, there's a lot of charm to his character. And, of course, like, he starts, like, gradually thinking, like, hmm, maybe Link is not as useless of a person that I thought he was. And then, like, yeah, and then at the end, he finally comes around to help him a little bit. And I like it. He's got a lot of charm to his character. And what I like about the story, too, is that uh, it's gradual throughout the game, where it's not, like, all this lore or whatever at the beginning and then nothing for the duration, which is honestly what the majority of Zelda games are. Uh, I like that it was, like, there was little plot pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, like, I feel like it's unfair to compare Lime back to Groose. Like, Groose obviously has an amazing storyline, amazing redemption arc, and he's just an amazing overall character. And I just feel like, I don't know, Limebeck is, like, don't... Don't think I'm comparing him to this character, but he's basically the the Jack Sparrow of Phantom Hourglass, in my opinion. Um, I do really like the little interactions with him, too. One of my favorite lines that he has is when Oceus is basically calling him out for not getting the map. And he, like, he like gets all hunched up and defensive, and he's like, I was injured. <laughs> like, <laughs> when he obviously wasn't. But, I don't know, I kind of feel like... Um, I, I feel like Ciela is more like a, a character that goes along with you, but not a companion, whereas Limebeck is more of the companion character that we see from Zelda uh, games. So he's more of the the character that's kind of along for the ride, whereas Ciela is more important. So I kind of get what Andy is saying in that respect, but I love him. I think he's I think he's fantastic. Yeah, it, it might be. Actually, it, it definitely is unfair to compare him to Groose. I, I think I just kind of have that in my mind when I was thinking about Linebeck. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I actually do like his little, like, his little snide remarks and, like, excuses and stuff. I I think I was yeah. just expecting something else, like, uh, when... Because I remembered that Linebeck was, uh, you know, in, the final boss of the game, in a way. And... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, to me, I think that's another reason why that fight didn't necessarily land is because, like, there wasn't an emotion there for me because I was just like, okay, it's it's lineback. This would be this would be like if in Ocarina of Time, like, I don't know, Darunia was possessed and, like, he was the final boss. Like, not exactly, like, he, you like him, but, like, he's not, like, a, a core emotional character in this game. Uh, I, maybe I'm just, like, totally out to lunch there, but... Um, that's kind of okay. how I felt. I have two more observations here before we go in for uh, some closing comments. One, I think that you guys in Chicago and Tri-City could probably have heard me groaned if you were listening when I saw <laughs> DS Island. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I, that's awesome. I was sailing... <laughs> I, I oh, totally forgot about this, story. and I was just like, what, what is this? Is that, my God, did it, and I was like, I was looking, and I'm, I'm just sitting there, and like, I'm like, dear God, it's an island shaped like a DS, and then the dude is like, welcome to DS Island. I was just like, oh, like, I, I thought about checking myself into rehab right then and there <laughs> when I heard that. It was so bad. That's did so you, fantastic. Did you play the mini game on the island? after uh no i don't think i did that's the one where um 
the Goron comes back to you, right? Yeah, after Goron Temple, you can do the Goron race there. It's uh, like, I no, don't I, I never here. did that. There's like, um, there's like a puzzle where he hints like, uh, it's like he gives you a hint like, yeah, you got to dig. It's something like where the menu button is, but I don't know what that means. Oh, but it's like referring God. to like where the menu is on your DS. It's the bottom left corner yeah. of the bottom. <laughs> it's cute. I like it. Oh God, I I was just like rolling my eyes to the back of my head when I when I got there. Um, yeah, you know what? Actually, I almost forgot to bring this up, and uh, I'll make it three observations. I I was kind of into fishing in this game. It wasn't it wasn't terrible. Uh, the the worst part about fishing was actually like catching up to the fish. Yeah, I I don't remember fishing. To I be argue it might be the best fishing in the series, but that might not be saying much because I don't think Zelda has got a good fishing system. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would go that far, but I, not to sound pessimistic, but I was expecting to hate it, and <laughs> it was like. <laughs> pretty decent so i was just like the bar was low so it was easy to it was easy to surpass it so i i had a, a good time with that um although i will say that i hated and i know that i texted allison this uh again i hated digging for treasure in your crane when you lose health every time you bonk something the first time that i went oh, down yeah. i was just like i was kind of going a little bit uh fast i was i was like whatever um, so I got down to, to one life left and I was like, oh, well, I, I better make it back up to the top or else I'll have to restart this. And so I made it back up and I went to go get another piece of treasure and my thing was still at one. And I was like, what? And of course I died instantly. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that. So the, I feel like that kind of cancels the fishing out for overworld <laughs> activities. <laughs> That's fair. I'm okay with that. Cause that was, that was pretty hot garbage. Yeah, that was that was pretty rough. Uh, you know, actually, one more straight observation. Did I? I did the maze island, and um, I thought that that was kind of fun. I couldn't uh, I couldn't get the heart piece from there, but um, I, I kind of like the idea in theory. Actually, um, it it obviously it's probably not as it's definitely not as fun as the the mazes in Breath of the Wild. But like, I did kind of appreciate how you had to use your your wits, and like that's a good that's a good part where like you actually want to kind of use your ds and like map out a route so i i did enjoy that i'd actually argue that was that's like one of my favorite side quests of because that's like the only part of the game this is one of my biggest complaints is the game is way too easy it's like nothing really is a challenge i think but maze island on the hardest difficulty is incredibly hard you have to have like the most efficient route it's nobody's going to get it on their first second third or fourth try like you're just gonna you have to constantly get a little bit better and get a more efficient route uh yes and it's it's easier to visualize i actually think i don't like the breath of the wild mazes the labyrinths because it's hard to visualize the map doesn't make sense it, you're it, you're just mm. running into dead ends all the time it's kind of confusing uh but you know i and then the dead ends that aren't dead ends yeah those are kind of frustrating oh love those yeah no that... i love those labyrinths yeah, I had a I had a fun time there. I want to leave on um, one more note. Can we agree that this probably has the worst music of, of any Zelda game? Yes, I I think so. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes because if anybody remembers the way I gauged my music is if I hum along to it, 
And I think the only thing I really hum along to is when you're on the ocean. Right. And that's kind of like a remix of an already established theme. Yeah. So I honestly don't remember half the music from Phantom Hourglass. So I'm going to say that it's not great. Yeah. I, I mean, I played this game, <laughs> what, three weeks ago now? And I can't remember a single tune. Like, not even not even the... Uh, I can remember the Great Sea from Wind Waker, but I can't remember its, its remix in Phantom Hourglass. So um, yeah. a little bit disappointing there. Um, we're, we got to wrap things up here. We are, uh, we are almost out of time, but, uh, any, any closing final thoughts on Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass, you guys? Yes, I have several thoughts. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> well, one, I think Limebeck's name is probably one of the standouts, by the way. I can remember that and I. Yeah, that's one that I can yeah. remember. Um, but we didn't talk about two things that I really like about Phantom Hourglass. One, I like the wide scope of different collectibles that the game has. So it's like you get the heart containers, you get the extra sand, there's the ship parts, the treasure, the power gems, courage gems, wisdom Like, I like that. I'm, I'm a fan of kind of like collectathons, but I don't think anything is very egregious with Phantom Hourglass, and I like the variety. Uh, so I want to give a couple thumbs up to those. Uh, along those lines, I like a lot of the mini games. I like the Canon mini game. I like the Arrow mini game. I like the Goron mini game. There's a whole bunch of mini games. We talked about Maze Island. We talked about fishing as well. So another plus there. Uh, but then we didn't talk about the items at all. And I absolutely adore some of the items. I think so, I think it's the best boomerang in the series. I think it's one of the best grappling hooks in the series. Uh, or grappling hook, hook shot, whatever you want to label it as. So I think they did a good job. And even the bomb chews were fun to use. They did a good job using the uh, control system to maximize... Uh, the output of some of the items, I think. Yeah, if they could have had, like, regular controls for walking and fighting and then maybe had the, the touch controls for the weapons, I think that would have been a more optimal choice for a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, yeah, we, we didn't talk about the, the items too much because I actually think that there might be a future show uh, down the road there specifically for the items and, like, specifically for what's the best boomerang in Zelda ever. So maybe we'll do a, a show about that. Um, well, this game, this yes. game might have the best boomerang, the best hammer and the best grappling hook. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the and, best and hammer, best bomb shoes uh, as well. It has the most OP hammer in all of Zelda. I'm telling you, I'd, I'd be willing to agree with bomb shoes. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'd agree about the boomerang though, but that's, that is neither here nor there. That's a discussion for another day. Uh, we are rapidly running out of time here. Uh, we are going to get out of here. We want to give a big shout out to Joel, Linktober, and all of the amazing creators that have been uh, showcasing their work this weekend at uh, Linktober Zelda Creator Con. Uh, hats off to everybody here for doing such an incredible job and and just uh, being being such a light for the, the for the Zelda community. So. Um, uh, in particular, hats off to Joel and, uh, again, everyone involved in this. Uh, we want to promote really quickly, next Saturday, we are going to be live. We are going to be raising money for Black Lives Matter. Come and join Allison, Gooey, and I, and uh, we are going to be ranking every single Zelda game on one of those, like, Smash Bro character tier ranker things, and, uh, it's, it's gonna be a wild night, we're, we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be raising some money, certain games will be hidden behind donation incentives, so make sure that you check that out, that is the 20th of June at, uh, what did we say, Allison, 8pm Spateri, is that right? Yes, I think so, 8pm Spateri, 7pm Allison, yeah, 
Alright. Alright. So that's going to be done. Make sure that you check us out. We are out of here. We're out of time. Uh, make sure that you like and subscribe to the Champions Cast. Uh, tell a Zelda friend in your life where they can get their Zelda fix. We are all over the place wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. Check us out there. Leave us a five-star review if you think that we have earned it. And uh, make sure that you head on over to Twitter and give us a follow. I am at Spateri316. Allison is at Allison Aletha. And Moss is at Mossy's the Great. Guys, thank you for joining. And uh, I will see you all next week. Have a good week. Bye.